You're listening to the Even Odds Podcast on the Constructed Criticism Network. Here are your hosts, Mason and Trey, and thank you for rolling with us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 19th episode of the Even Odds Podcast. I'm ready to rock this mamba as your host, Mason, joined by Trey, the mamba rocker. No one says that. That cannot be a saying. <laughs> kids say it all the time. I'm, I, at, I'm at work and kids are like, let's rock this mamba, and they hop in the chair. I, I'm convinced that half of this is you trying to trick me into things that young people say that is not true. <laughs> young people love to rock the mamba. Hashtag rock that mamba. Yeah, I'm going to be at a mall. I'm going to be like, hey, kids, let's rock this mamba. And everyone's going to be like, how did you find a mall? It's going to be very confusing. <laughs> yeah, it's going to tackle you to get away from those children. But today we have a super exciting episode of Even Odds Pod. We have a brand new sponsor, and I think we should just hop right into that sponsor tray. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm excited. It's called Patreon.com. So we're launching our Patreon finally. Woohoo! Yes. And so we want to take a moment to talk about the Patreon because there's a lot going on with it. And we just wanted to kind of let people know about it. And then, you know, Goblin Char Bargains and well, Wayward... Wayfinder Travel Wayfinder Travel How dare you forget. I'm dyslexic. I'm yeah. sorry. That's how that works. Uh, and we just wanted to have a moment to talk about that. So Trey... Should we just hop into the three tiers you can get on the Patreon podcast? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, so the first tier the, is the thanks for rolling with us tier, and that's at a dollar or more per month. Um, at that tier, that you'll get access to the Discord that we're going to have that's set up for Patreons only, where you can communicate with Mason and I directly, as well as the rest of the Even Odds community. And we can talk about things throughout the week, and you don't have to wait till Thursday in order to communicate with us. We can do that uh, throughout the time. And you'll also get um, Patreon only episodes once we hit funding goals that will make that available at all levels. Yes. So let's talk about the next tier, and I'll copy back to that for a second. So the next tier is $5, and this is per month, not per episode. Uh, it was the always odd tier. At this tier, you get access to the Patreon-only episode immediately, regardless of where we're at with our goal. If you're five or more, you're just going to get that. So the plan is at $100 a month per podcast, well, $100 a month, the Patreon-only podcast is available to everyone. So you can be a dollar listener, and once that thing's hit, we're going to release it to everyone. That's just something that we think is like a fair deal to get a little something extra. And then when that's reached, we're going to add a little something extra for those tiers that's in the works right now that we don't want to talk about till we get there. Um, but hopefully, we'll talk about that next week. <laughs> right. Well, but also at the always odd level, and the mm-hmm. thing that I think is, is a really a big benefit at this level, is access to the Patreon question of the week. And we're going to be doing that in a bit of a different way, which is, as opposed to just you emailing in a question, which you still can do, you know, or sending that into the Discord, that's still a possibility to do. Um, we have set up a uh, even odds podcast hotline. And you can call into the hotline and you can leave Mason and I a voicemail. Uh, and then we will be able to play your question of the week on the podcast. And so you can be on the podcast directly and we'll respond to your question uh, through that. Yes. Yeah, so every week there's going to be a Patreon uh, question of the week. Just like all the other magic podcasts out there, except you, the listener, will be on there. And to get that tier, you need to be $5 or more a month. So it's pretty exciting. We actually have our first Patreon only. Uh, we actually have a patron already. <laughs> so that was kind of funny. So we have a question. And we're going to be doing that right after this uh, little wrap-up here. Let's talk about the the highest tier, and this is the high roller tier. See, it's all about dice rolling, Trey. Right. Always even, we abandon. Yeah. <laughs> that no one up. picks always even. Like, you talk, people are always, always, like, always odd. Always odd. No one would pick always even. That'd be insane. <laughs> but, uh, so the high roller tier, this is really kind of the tier that's like, you really love the show and you want to give a little extra to the show. At this tier, you get some really cool things, though. So, we're going to be having... 
not only the Patreon only episodes, um, but at ten dollars or more a month, you can help us make an episode that we'll do. So when you hit ten dollars, you're going to be able to work with us on an episode. So if you're one of our ten dollars or more a month patrons, like Jeremy Hill, our first patron, thanks, Jeremy. We're going to message you and we're going to figure out an episode that you want to have done, and we're going to do that for you. And the other thing that's pretty cool about this is we're going to be having uh, tokens come eventually, probably. So the way it works is every two months you're going to get something of being a $10 or more patron. So in two months we're going to show you the tokens and have those sent out to you. Um, but those will eventually go down the rest of the Patreon. So if you become a $5, $1 one, those are going to come to you. But at first those are locked behind $10 patrons. And when we launch our store in a little bit, $10 patrons are going to get cool stuff every two months from that store. Including, I feel, we feel comfortable saying this, we're eventually going to have dice that are three sides say even, three sides say odd. So... Just some cool little swag and stuff like that that is eventually going to come to the store. Yeah, and we're excited about what's uh, what's coming forward with that, and, and we're really excited to be launching this. Uh, everyone has been showing such an outpouring of support as we've been going on this journey, and uh, we're happy to be able to get involved with this and engage more directly with our community. Yep, and we really want to make sure we're giving back to you because you're already giving us something that's inv- invaluable, and that's your time. Your time means so much, and never feel that you have to be a patron. The show is always going to be free. The Patreon-only episodes are going to be fun episodes they're not always going to be like super informative sometimes they're just going to be fun things talking about in magic or in life in general so don't feel like you have to give to get everything out of the podcast but if you want to give and you feel like the show is giving back to you and you want to head over to patreon.com slash even odds pod and you'll see us there and you can pick your tier and hop right in immediately it'll be live at the same time this episode goes up so that's it we're not going to pitch you on the patreon every week that was kind of our thing let's move straight on to our patreon question of the week Hey guys, big fans, first time caller, long time listener. So I was a KCI player in Modern and then they banned my deck. And so now I'm scrambling to try to find a new deck. And I've been leaning towards these Arclight Phoenix decks. I was wondering if you guys could give me your thoughts on which Arclight Phoenix deck you prefer. Because the classic blue-red Arclight Phoenix deck is good. And then Ryan Overturf, Mate won the tournament at the team open with splashing green with a bunch of artifacts to get the tutor card. And then there are all these mono red decks that are popping up all over the place and doing really well too. And I'm confused about which one I should play and which one you guys think is best. So if you could give me your thoughts on that, I would really appreciate it. All right, thanks. All right, thank you so much, Caller E. Not exactly sure there was no name there. How, how dare you uh, strip the identity away from longtime friend of the podcast, Ellison Berryhill. Well, they should have probably said their name. I just saw a big E. So, <laughs> uh, Thank you so much for the question. Yeah, let's talk about Arclight Phoenix because Arclight Phoenix is like the hot modern deck. I talk to a lot of people about modern and a lot of them think this is the Arclight shell is like the best thing to be doing in modern. It's just unclear what it is to do and that's kind of where Ellison's at. So, Trey, what's your approach towards all these different Arclight decks? Right. I, I mean, I think that the best way to try to take a look at doing it is what is it that's pulling you in to those different structures of the, you know, of those colors, right? Like, what are you getting out of making the choice to be in there, right? And if you look at the teamer build that Ryan Overturf played, what you're getting is Traverse the Elvenwald. Like, that's the reason to do that package, which lets you play a couple of silver bullets in order to tutor up some things. Um, it also can increase your consistency a little bit as far as like hitting Arclight off your Faithless lootings because you can tutor for them. So that that's the draw to being in that combination. But you're having to jump through some hoops in order to do it. 
you're having to play things like Mishra's Bobble, which doesn't get you closer to your triggers on your arc lights and some other things that you're having to do. Um, then you have the draw to the blue-red that isn't decks, which is primarily thing in the ice. Like, you could say a lot of different things, cantrips, whatever, but the reason to be the blue-red version is thing in the ice, which makes you uh, gives you so much game against the other creature decks that are going on in the format and lets you play some interesting defensive games against some of the combo decks like Amulet and everything else if you play thing in the ice from a defensive standpoint. But that's really the draw for those decks. And then the red deck, what you're getting is you're just much more streamlined. You're having, like, your mana's always good. You don't have to worry about being able to cast any of your stuff. And it's also just fast, 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 right? Like, what you get out of that is speed. And you're not necessarily losing out a lot on your cantrip standpoint anyway because of things like Light Up the Stage and Faithless Looting are, are just really effective draw engines and everything else. Yeah, to tack onto that, so let's, let's start at the back there and work our way around. So with the red one, you don't have as much selection of your cards, but all your cards do the same thing. So you don't really need selection. It's not like, oh, do I need this? Like, is it charm? It's like, no, it's a, a different variation of lightning bolt. Like, it'll get the job done. Uh, so the red one in my mind, and this is just my personal opinion, is if the meta is fast and combo oriented and not trying to interact, you should play the red deck because the red deck goes face, never trades. Light them up, light them up. With the blue-red version, it's really when the format's more about interacting and it's specifically creature-based. And having access to find the select cards and do exactly what you want to do is when that deck's best. So to compare, I think the red one was fine when it first came out, but the blue-red dominated because banned spirits and humans were everywhere. And now while they're still there, the opposing arc-like mirrors lead to more of a race where Thing in the Ice is okay, but it's not great. So that's why I think that the red one's a little bit better right now, along with some of the other decks in the format that are being coming, that are being popularized. Now, let's talk about Overturf's deck for a second, because this is the weirdest one to me. In my mind, it's more of a look at what we can do, right? It's Overturf has also played the Grixis arc-like deck uh, two months ago with Collective Brutality as a way to kind of like help burn matchups and stuff like that. And I think it's interesting and really showing that this archetype is underexplored. They're like, the red and the blue red are good. But what can we really do? And I would love to see this, the Overturf build have one or two more silver bullets. It had, um, like, you can search up your Bedlam Reveler, you can search up your Magus of the Moon. But I would really like some other silver bullet or some other reason to be green besides having Traverse and that kind of stuff. And while Mr. Bubble's nice, I like fixing your draws a little bit. I'd kind of like to try something more along those lines. I'd also like to try Gruel Bird. Or Gruel Arc, like I should say, the official name of the podcast. But like, no blue, just red green. And see what it's like with Traverse the Olven Wall and always getting Bedlam Reveler. And always grabbing Magus and always grabbing like a Hazaret and stuff like that. I think that would be a cool thing to try. So personally, I guess that doesn't quite answer the question. Right now in Modern, I'm all about red. Where are you at? Yeah, I, I think that there is some draw to being the mono red version because of the number of uh, uh, mirrors that you're going to be playing. And that the mono red ones also give you a little bit of game, more game against the combo decks because, you know, Thing in the Ice is pretty dirtily, you know, with the exception of like, uh, you know, Amulet specifically, like playing Thing in the Ice defensively is something that's very effective against the Amulet decks. Mm -hmm. Um, But the other combo decks and the other types of things that are going on, I think just being fast, fast, fast and streamlined is probably the place to be. Yep. And we actually, so the first Patreon only cast is being recorded today as well because the Patreon's going up. And the plan is to talk about Arc like there. So this question was perfect. So we're actually going to talk more about that. If you go to patreon.com, become a patron of $5 or more a month, or be at a dollar, and we might just hit the goal immediately. Who knows? You'll be able to hear the episode. So head over to patreon.com. We're going to talk more about that. I specifically think Thing in the Ice is a trap against Amulet Titan. You can hear more about that at patreon.com. 
I, I do. I, I like honestly. I, I feel like the games I win is when you play a thing in the ice on two because yeah. I feel like it slows you down enough, and that's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. And if you'd like to hear more about it, yep. come on over and uh, check out that episode. But instead, Mason, let's get into our main topic for today, which is the thing that has been uh, dominating the magic conversation over the last two months: Nexus of Fates. Yeah, it feels like the conversation just goes on and on and on and on. And every time you think you get to the end of it, and on, it just starts over again. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to talk all about Nexus of Fate this uh, episode. So let's just kind of set the stage for Nexus of Fate. Nexus of Fate, here's the real problem with Nexus of Fate in my mind, Trey. And I don't know how you feel about this. Is it's a buy a box promo that never can really be answered because it always goes back into the deck. And that's kind of where the crux of the problem is, is that it's very hard to stop this strategy. In the past, if there's like a take all the turns deck, it has like one or two time walks, right? And like one negate ends the game because now they're like, they're down a time walk and then you take another turn and now they're less likely to go. But with the Nexus deck, because Nexus goes in, your deck gets slightly smaller every time and you always find the card. It's very easy for the deck to eventually become all hits and you just keep going and going and going and going. Yeah, certainly. I mean, Nexus Fate is unique in that regard. Like taking, taking extra turn effects have generally exiled themselves in some way. Because of that. I mean, there have been exceptions to that. You had things like Time Warp, and you had, obviously, Time Walk, some of the older cards that went to the graveyard, but then you had to have other recursion spells, right? Like, Nexus of Fate is its own recursion spell. And you get where they're coming from with that. I mean, seven mana is a lot of mana. Like, yeah, and there know. was Gear Hulk in the format, so they were afraid that, like, instant speed works with Gear Hulk. Right. Yeah, yeah. Because sometimes, you know, putting things in the graveyard is much better than putting things back in your deck. Um, but with an extra turn effect, particularly with Search for Ascanta and things like that, makes it very easy to just continue to chain them off. Yep. I, I really wonder if they just made it so Nexus goes on bottom of the deck if we'd have all these problems. Like, it would still be very good. But if, like, instead of randomly getting a chance to top deck it, because, like, sometimes you just, like, take a turn, flip your Ascanta, and hope to get lucky. But if it was, like, always at the bottom, I wonder if that would make it more fair. Yeah, it would be interesting, right? It'd also be cleaner. I wouldn't have to shuffle many times. <laughs> yeah, but that's something that you would end up doing then, right? Is then, then alternate types of shuffle effects would become at a premium, right? Like you might be seeing things like District Guide or Evolving Wild that's, that's showing up in those type of decks so that you could put it on the bottom and shuffle it in, right? Like I think the decks would just have to adapt and evolve to deal with that problem. Like mm -hmm. the, the failure of exiling is something that just creates it where like it can just constantly loop and constantly loop. Yeah, so this seems to be a very hard problem to tackle. So we're going to talk all about it today. Let's first go over the three main Nexus of Fate decks, and we're going to kind of talk about tackling them. Let's start off with Drake Sasser's Nexus of Gate, also popularized by Dylan Hand on the SG Tour of Team Nova and BCW. So, Nexus of Gates is a gate variant. Uh, Do you like gate variants? I love them. It's funny, the weekend before Drake, uh, so we played Indy, and then Drake messaged me on Tuesday and said, is your deck real? I said, I think it's real. Here are some thoughts. Then Drake went with Nexus of Gates. So I, I'm curious if you played this. I was like, ah, this, I, I, haven't, I haven't really talked to him since then. But um, he has an article on Hipsters of the Coast, which you can find. We talked about the deck. But really, Nexus Hashtag of... Hashtag not sponsored. Not sponsored <laughs> at all. But hey, we're here. <laughs> but, you know, jokes aside, uh, Nexus of uh, Nexus of Gates. Sorry, it's a weird name. Cool name, but weird name. It tries to use all the same cards that we were using in the Gate deck. And then it wins the game with Hydroid Crisis and Expansion Explosion, kind of like we were. And it uses a Wilderness Reclamation, weirdly at a 3 of and not a 4 of, but it uses that to mitigate the gates entering tapped and use Guild Summon as a way to fuel through your deck. And then you have the cool sideboard options of being having Gatebreaker Ram, Archway Angel, etc., while still having Gates Ablaze in the main deck to answer all the problems that we had with gates. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's essentially right. Like, when we went through the gates episode, uh, you know, in the deep dive of the gates deck that Mason and uh, had played, 
you know, the whole point was that there are these difficult to deal with permanents and there's these difficult to deal with things that the Gates deck can have some problems with. And the way that we approached that problem was mass manipulation, right? And like this deck is essentially using like Nexus of Fate to address that same kind of problem. Like, okay, planeswalkers are an issue. Instead of interacting with them, I'm just going to make it where you can't activate them because you don't get turns. Exactly. And then because of Guild Summit, you're moving through your deck so much more that it becomes kind of like us content that way. And then your backup plan is just so good. So Nexus of Gates is really interesting. I don't know about you, but I feel of the decks, it feels like it has the furthest to go from reaching its pinnacle, if that makes sense. But I think it's also the most powerful right now, which is a weird statement. I feel like it just needs to get cleaned up just a little. It feels like there's just one card missing or one card too many. And like if they can fix that, I'm like all in on Nexus of Gates. But at the moment, I'm just it's not my, my preferred Nexus deck. But I still think it's very good. Right. And the, the primary reason that it's very good is what you talked about, is that Guild Summit is one of the messed up, most messed up draw engines that you can have in Standard. And right. Gates of Blaze is the most messed up answer in Standard. That's right. Yeah. So And I would also be remiss if I didn't say that Drake Gates sounds like a political scandal. So <laughs> yeah. can we mention for a second that anytime Drake plays against someone on Blue Red Drake, he says I won the mirror? Because he is Drake, and I was like, I thought he was playing Nexus this weekend. <laughs> ah, you sassy you. Um, regardless, let's talk about Turbo Fog as the next deck. So, Trey, what's Turbo Fog? Yeah, so this is kind of the traditional Nexus deck. This is the first one that broke out, you know, thanks to, like, David Williams. This was before the new sets and everything else, where it's, you know, Teferi, Fogs, and then Nexus, where you're playing a Bant Shell, and then you a bunch of counterspells, Fogs, and Teferis in order to try to cycle through and kill them in that way. Mm-hmm. So the cool thing about this deck is that they have started to adapt deploy deposition. Is that it? It is uh, the make doctors and tap and draw. Yeah, it's the uh, uh, it's two mana. Uh, it's the Azorius split card. Yes, uh, and it's two mana to tap a creature, draw a card, or it's four mana to make two doctors gain two life. And but you can do that at instant speed. Yeah, well, you actually gain life equal to the number of creatures you get. Right. So you can gain more if you have more doctors. So, but it's generally gain two. <laughs> it's generally gain two. So they actually what they've done is they've started to trim to fairies and use more of these cantrips as a way to have more interaction in the early game, keep cycling, and then really the plan is like resolve one of those and then just take all the turns and him for two, 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 and kill them while also having the backup of like if I need to, I can gain two life and make two chump blockers or tap your creature, draw a card. So they've done some really cool things to kind of streamline the deck even more. Yeah, and it's an interesting it's an interesting adaptation, right? Because the deck doesn't need a powerful win condition. It just needs a win condition, right? Mm-hmm. If you can clear the path and you can do all of these other kinds of things, a one-one doctor will kill your opponent if you take all the turns. Yeah, right. if there's nothing in the and like because of the deploys, right? Like you might be thinking, well, the one hundred creatures stops them. Like, well, you tap it and it never untaps because only you untap. It's my turn, right? <laughs> Mine. So you know, jokes aside, there, I, I think that deck is pretty cool. It's done some cool innovations, but I'm not sure if that where the next deck is better. My gut leans towards the next deck. So let's talk about. Blue Green Nexus. This is the Alleyandrazi deck that Paul, I believe is his name, from the SCG uh, piloted to a top four last weekend in Dallas. This deck is pure streamlined. It has three card types. It has cantrips, it has Nexus, and it has win conditions. And that's it. And the win conditions double as cantrips, so it had Rick and Phil Mystic for a small bit of interaction. And the deck's all about just putting the lands in play, slamming Reclamation, activating Ascanto with Reclamation, because that is a messed up engine. And just taking all the turns. Yeah, and it's interesting because it's a Frilled Mystic deck, you can also just play a tempo type game. Like, you'll have some games that you just win by, like, Frilled Mystic their thing, play a Hydroid Crisis, Frilled Mystic their next thing, and then just kill them. Like, you never even end up doing the Nexus side of the deck, which is a thing that the other Nexus decks have a more difficult time doing. 
right? Like, and so it's interesting that this deck can also just win a fair game sometimes. Yeah, and the Frilled Mystic also gives you a level of interaction that before, really, I guess, last weekend, people weren't prepared for. Like, I imagine a lot of people just thought that you were Bant or something like that, and you're just going really fast, and they're like, all right, slam my Siege Game Commander, have all these bodies, and you're like, Frilled Mystic that. And it's like, play a Wilderness Reclamation, untap, your turn, you know? Just little things like that can really change the game. More like, play Reclamation, untap, and then when they slam, slam a Frilled Mystic, and then it's like, that's game. Yeah. It's over. So, and that deck also does something which I think is really smart, which is four search for Escanto. Just you want search like every game on two, or you want Gross Spiral every game on two. So you might as well max out on both and just slam them. Yeah, I think that this this deck is really one of the more streamlined versions of this type of strategy because it cuts a lot of the nonsense. Like it's just this is what this deck does. This is what it is that we need. We need a win condition, and by playing these, our win conditions also interact in different points of the game. Like Hydro Crisis draws us cards, which we need to do. Frilled Mystic protects our stuff, which we need to do, and so it, it like there's not any like wasted pieces in it. Exactly, and Hydro Crisis being in the main deck, much like Nexus of Gate, means that once you start Nexusing, you don't have to Nexus forever. You just need to Nexus like three times. Uh, if you have like a five five, it goes exactly. pretty quickly. Yeah, exactly. So that can be kind of good too, because sometimes you do have a small fizzle rate, and these decks don't thin as quickly as like the uh, Bant version does, but. The, I'm sorry, the Nexus of Gates doesn't thin as quick as Bant, but Blue-Green does. So it's like, even then, it's pretty elementary once you get a Nexus going. So Yeah, and it also lets you do things because you're only a two-color deck. You get to play things like the Blue Memorial Land, right? Which lets you realistically like chain off like drawing cards off of your land drops as well. Yep, and you get good sideboard access with Biogenic Ooze and Palaka Worm and Nezahal and Mass Manipulation. You have a lot of good answers. And your mana is clean, which is important. Make sure you can play your answers. Yeah. Uh, it, out of all of the three decks that are there in the Nexus Arena, this is the one that impresses me the most, and it's the one that feels the cleanest out of all of the decks. I agree 100%. So, Trey, we've talked a good bit about the Nexus decks. How are we going to fight these decks? What are the answers to them? Let's just go down the list in the Wuborg order. Okay. So, we'll start with White. And so, with White, you know, one of the things that you've got is you've got Enchantment Removal and Demystify. And the other thing that you've got is kill them. Kill them, kill them, kill them before they can do stuff. Right? You have... Uh, Really quick aggression. A lot of them aren't playing any kind of sweepers or anything else unless you're playing against the Gates type of deck specifically. But even if they are, the white decks are pretty good against sweepers. That's one of the draws to the deck. Um, also, Tithe Taker is a very real card uh, in those matchups. And that, that card, playing that versus like an Adanto Vanguard right now, I think makes a lot of sense. Um, for exactly those kinds of reasons, it makes it difficult for your opponent to interact at instant speed um, and makes it worse when they're trying to leave mana up and pass the turn. Yep, for sure. So demystify is really like your only way to answer it, and then just go face, tack them. Yeah, and then also deputy of detention. I mean, you know, deputy sure, of yeah, detention is a card in the in those white splashing blue decks. Do you, you like know. the white splash blue deck? I do. I, I think that it's a real deck. You like it better than mono white. I, I like having access to those things. You know, I think Nexus of Fate, which we'll talk about later in the show, is part of it. Forces you to be white splash blue. I think the better deck's probably white. Yeah. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I was just curious. This is a random thought I had. I. Blue, Trey, I put hallelujah as your uh, way to beat Nexus. I-, I made a tweet earlier this week at Mason E. Clark at Twitter.com, uh, and I said, if you're not playing blue in your deck this weekend for a Memphis, I think you're going to have a bad time. I think blue is the best color in Sandra right now, and a big part of that is Nexus of Fate. Not even just mono blue the deck, I just mean making sure you have access to negate is super important right now. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's one of the most effective and broad sideboard cards that you can have access to. And it's also the best card that you can have against these decks. And and just in general, like, it just does so much for so little. 
And it's so versatile and so powerful. I think it's just the best type of thing that you can be doing in relation to these decks and then also a wide variety of decks. Nexus is even good a lot of the times with mid-range decks versus mid-range decks versus aggro decks and sometimes, you know, you'll bring in Nexus or Negate versus like red decks. It's just a very powerful sideboard card overall. And it also has the benefit of being the best sideboard card against the Nexus decks. I have a long running theory that Negate's almost always one of the best cards in standard. And it's only being more pro- like proven correct as time goes on. Well, it's the reason they keep reprinting it every time, right? Yeah. Like, we just need to have a clean way for all of these other decks to interact with all this other busted stuff we're doing. And we can always just cleanly put Negate in, and it's like, it's a perfectly balanced restriction, right? Like, the fact that it's a two-mana counter spell but only hits non-creature spells, like, it's a good, structured, designed card that's always safe to print. You can print it every time, it's always safe to print. It always and it lets you print crazy to. stuff, too, right? Yes. Like, in theory, it's like, oh, we can print Willow's Recommendation because they can play Negates if this happens. Promise people don't switch decks enough. Let's move on to <laughs> black. So, Trey, what's your plan here? A black deck or a base black deck? Yeah, I mean, your discard, I mean, it's always the thing that, that black has, right? You have duress, you have drill bit is the other new tool that you have. And, like, those are good if you can hit the early pieces. You know, if you can hit the wilderness reclamation, if you can hit the wind cons, you know, with the drill bit, you know, then those things are good. Uh, you know, the problem is, is the discard's not the most effective against Nexus itself, but, like, if you can hit the other pieces around it, then you can get across the finish line. Yeah, I really feel like you have to have a backup clock with the duresses, so you need to be, like, hitting the Reclamation to, like, make them stumble for two turns and, like, capitalize on that stumble, where Negate, like, kind of forces them to, like, give you back the turn and, like, will waste their turn, which sometimes they can get through with multiple Reclamations. This is, like, let me try and stumble you in a different way. Yeah, and, and the, you know, black black decks also have access to Unmoored Ego, you know. If uh, they splash blue. If they splash blue, right, which, you know, can ex- answer the Nexuses. I, I would not suggest our listeners play Unmoored Ego. Yes. Just, here's a hot take. I think Nexus is a ban-worthy card that's oppressive to the format. We'll talk about it here in a little bit. I think Unmoored Ego is the wrong way to attack. That's just where I'm at. Doesn't doesn't mean I'm right or I'm wrong. Just where I'm at with it. Yeah, I know that I certainly have been playing, played the Nexus deck, had all of my Nexus Unmoored Ego, and just won anyway. Yeah. It just doesn't matter. Yeah, she... Depending on the build, it is really easy to win. And if your plan is to hit the win cons, most of the decks are diversified win cons now. That's not a reasonable plan. Yeah, and especially because Unmoored Ego incentivizes you to keep a hand that may not be particularly good because you're like, I've got the trump card. It has the Stony like, Silence problem. Exactly. And so like, okay, you Unmoored Ego my stuff, but you also didn't do anything with the rest of your deck. Like, As opposed to if you like, if your plan is clock plus discard... Like, you're going in with a proactive plan as opposed to just like, aha, I gotcha. Yeah, and your discards are better in other matchups, too. You can, like, break, like, if you, let's say you have a mono-black aggro deck and you have eight discard spells on your sideboard, right, for some reason. When you play against the Esper deck, you're like, bring it in. And then if you, like, were splashing blue just for Unmoored Ego and, let's say, negate as well in your mono-black deck, it's like, oh, I don't bring in these Unmoored Egos in any matchup but, like, this one. So it's like, uh, okay, which is fine to have cards just for one matchup, but they're not particularly even that good. So we talked about ways that you interact with this deck and the ways that you try to combat it with that. Mm-hmm. What do you do if you're the red player? Go face, never trade. Yeah, a lot of bolts. <laughs> bang, bang, boom, bang, boom. That's how you beat them. They play Planeswalker, must go face. Yeah. They play Enchantment, must go face. So they Planeswalkers play are a trick. They're a life gain spell. Don't fall for it, red. Go face, never trade. Must go face. We're joking right now, but seriously, the way that red has to answer them is they're so efficient and so fast. Like, it's very hard for you to actually interact with them on any meaningful, meaningful level. That's why some people have looked into splashing green or blue in the red decks for Cinder Vines or to have Negate as a way to interact with those matchups, which I think isn't the worst in the world, but it's not the best either. 
Um, at first, I was pretty high on it. Then after playing, I'm like, ah, this isn't enough. But if you just burn them out, that's your way of beating them. Just the theory of fire. Yeah, I think it's the best way to go. Uh, Trey, let's say you're a green player. You like big things. You like to smash. What do? Yeah, uh, hope, pray, dream, and hope crushing canopy gets you across the finish line. <laughs> yeah, crushing canopy in a dream. <laughs> so, honestly, like the the there aren't many modern green decks right now. I think part of that is the Nexus of Fate problem. You don't have Gruel decks because of Nexus of Fate. But really, green is lacking answers to Nexus of Fate that are reasonable to play. Like, there's always these weird things to play, but Christian Canopy is your cleanest answer. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the same thing. It's the best, most versatile sideboard card you can have that it, you can use in multiple matchups. And, you know, when you have it and you get them with it, great. But it's the same thing as the discard, right? You have to have this plus clock. Yep. And you've got to hope that that's the way that things line up. And the problem is, is that they tax your crushing canopy very highly, right? Like they play Search Fresh Canta, you gotta hit it, and then they play Wilderness Reclamation, and you gotta hit it. And it's like you can only play so many crushing canopies, and you have to draw them and have a clock to back it up, right? And so the other thing you can do also is Thrashing Brontodon in the same sense. Yeah, Thrashing Brontodon is the other one. Uh, we've seen it a little bit from Sultai. Uh, I don't know. I, I I think Sultai has enough answers, which makes it awkward. You know what I mean? Like Thrashing Brontodon is definitely a card, but the other green decks like. They have to play Thrashing and Canopy. And like, Sultai doesn't have to, which is a weird dynamic. Um, but yeah, let's talk about Nexus of Fate, though, just as a card. So we kind of talked about, like, how you can attack it, how you can hopefully beat it. Um, Trey, like, just from a macro sense real quick, how are we going to beat this just in general as a game plan? I know there's too many matchups and there's too many specific things, but, like, when you're sitting down against Nexus, what is your, like, overarching game plan? I mean, it's the same thing with, like, when you're dealing with combo decks in general, right? Like, Nexus is, at its core, just a combo deck. Mm-hmm. And so tempo-based games and aggro-based games against combo has always been a, a good answer against that. You know, Fairies-type decks, Delver-type decks, like, that has always been the natural enemy of these type of combo decks like, throughout the history of Magic, right? Like, that is the type of thing that those decks are designed to prey upon. And that is, the I think, the best strategy you can have as far as trying to attack this type of a deck Especially because those decks are also very good about doing that same thing to other decks. One hundred percent. Yeah, I, I agree. I think you just have to figure out your game plan, figure out what your role is, and luckily Nexus is prevalent enough that you can kind of figure it out, and they kind of streamline themselves enough that you don't have to adapt too much in game one. And then in post board, you just need to be aware of what they could do to pivot on you. And you just like to say it's a lot of racing and a lot of countering the right thing and hoping that's enough. And I think that's why Blue is so good. Uh, but let's take a moment here. So we've kind of talked about Nexus and everything. Let's talk about should Nexus be banned for a second. So originally the episode was kind of me about that, but I think Trey and I agree that Nexus is ban-worthy on the premise of it makes tournaments go long, it's an unfun play pattern and all that. You agree with that, right, Trey? I do. No, no debate there. The difference is I think Nexus is oppressive to the format, and Trey does not think it is oppressive. Is that correct? That, is that a fair way to say that? I think that that's fine. You know, essentially, I don't. I, another way to say it is that I do not think that Nexus is banworthy on power level alone. Sure, I believe it's banworthy on power level alone. I think if there was no play pattern problems, you would still just you should have still ban this card. But let's have that conversation for a second because I think it's gonna be kind of fun. So, Trey, well, let's let's start off with it by saying that we we need to acknowledge that you know at this point Nexus has been banned in best of one on Arena. It has not been banned in any other formats. It's free to play on best of three in Arena uh, in the same way that it is with paper. Um, there was a bit of a cryptic tweet from Aaron Forsyth saying that, you know, well, the paper banning uh, announcement hasn't come yet. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so that may be something that changes in the future. But as of right now, that it is banned in best of one on Arena, uh, which is at, at a minimum a good decision. Yeah, for sure. It was too linear and too uninteractive for Arena sake. Where red does a similar thing, but it's easier to interact with red cards than it is this plan. Well, and it also doesn't promote rope abuse. Sure. Well, I mean, red kind of does in a way. Like, yeah. I, you can get, people can get salty at you when you have the net draw. But that's either here or there. That's a different episode. Trey, lead in with your argument. What do you think here? Yeah, I mean, I will say that playing against Nexus in a general way is unfun. It is, when they start to do their thing, you are not interacting in a realistic or effective way. And you're just watching sitting someone dirtle around. And doing the same thing over and over and over again. And it has a, a fail rate still for a long period of time. So you're incentivized to sit through it. And it is a unpleasant experience in order to do it. Um, some of those decks feel better when it's happening than the other ones. For some reason, the blue-green deck feels better when it's happening to you. Because there's like a frilled mystic and a thing. Like it feels like something else is going. But if it's like a Teferi or a, <laughs> or a big thing that's just ticking up and you're doing it and going, it feels horrible. Like, it's got a lot of feel-bads that go along associated with it. It also takes forever, um, not only in paper, but in online as well. Both of them just take forever to accomplish, and it takes a really long time, and it's unpleasant to have happen. And you feel like you have very little agency or control, like, as the player who's playing against it, um, which is, I think, a similar and comparable problem that you had against the Aetherworks Marvel decks, right? Like, that was a very similar feel-bad experience when you were playing against these type of decks. Um, similar to that, I don't know that on a power level standpoint that it's oppressive. Like, when I think of decks that are, like, oppressive from a power level standpoint, or cards that are oppressive from a power level standpoint, it's that you are not competitive or cannot be competitive if you are not playing this deck. And that if you are playing anything outside of this deck, you are making a mistake. Like, there have been times like that when it was, like, uh, a Skull Clamp, you know, when Skull Clamp was legal, or when you had the Eldrazi Winter in Modern, right? Like, if you were playing anything other than this deck, you are a fool. You should be playing this deck because you are otherwise you are not competing. You know, KCI is one that I think on power level, like the win rates were insane, right? Like that if you were doing something that's not that, you're doing something that I think is wrong. But I don't think that that's true with this. And I think that the Nexus decks can be beat. I think that that's been shown that it's not just putting up the type of numbers and results that are there. And that as a result of that, the power level by itself is not something that I think is necessary for a banning. But the feel bad nature of it, I think it is. So we agree on the feel-bad nature and et cetera that it should be banned. I think a lot of that comes from it not being a deterministic kill. Uh, like, lots of times with a combo deck, same with KCI, you just die. You play your Storm cards, and I grip shot, grip shot, you, you lose. And with KCI in this deck, there's a super small fail rate, so you're incentivized to wait it out. And that leads to the non-deterministic kill, which people don't like. And that's the problem. They want to be able to scoop, they, but they know the heart they shouldn't scoop. Just like me at the SCG, and I barely won the round. Because I knew I shouldn't scoop, and I got super lucky. After your opponent took, like, 40 turns. Yeah, they just did everything, and they just whiffed. It happens. It's crazy. Which is a bad, another bad part of the card. But on a power level alone, that's because all I think about when I'm talking about this conversation is power level. I think Nexus of Fate is a format warping card. And I've seen a lot of people recently say Nexus of Fate isn't format warping. So let me sell you on why it is. Nexus of Fate goes over the top of every single deck in the format. Even our Gates deck, which is like the only deck that can even come close to going over the top of uh, Nexus, cannot go over the top of Nexus. Nexus is as high as you can go, it's all in as you can go. Normally, those kind of decks don't succeed all the time because they can stumble and be so clunky. Nexus is so fast and so efficient, thanks to Wilderness Reclamation, making it start to happen on turn 5, in combination with Ascontid to fix your draws and find the cards. Nexus of Fate basically says you cannot play a mid-range deck that does not have blue in it. You have to have Negate. You have to have a disdainful stroke. You have to have something to answer us on this turn. And if you're not doing that, 
you need to be going as fast as possible because we are going to kill you otherwise. I do not buy that the blue-white aggro deck is that good in general. I think you are forced into playing negate or being accepting that I'm going to lose a lot of games to Nexus because I'm just not, if I don't draw a fast enough draw. Which is fine, that's a place to be, but Nexus warps the format where you have to go fast, where you have to have negate, where you have to be Nexus. Any other strategies right now are not viable and standard in my opinion. I do not think you can play a green-white mid-range deck, like or a token stack, and, and realistically plan to succeed right now in standard because of Nexus. And I think you brought up a point that a lot of people have, like, it's not dominating the standard right now. And I think that's because we're just now getting to the good lists. Week one, people are doing this crazy stuff with, like, Teamer, and we're drawing all the cards and doing all these things. And then we look at the SCG, and it's like three people converted. Two of them were on Nexus of Gates. One was on Band. It's like, okay, out of, like, 700, 800 people, that's, like, not an impressive conversion rate. But then the next weekend, Drake and some other people are, like, crushing with Blue Green Nexus. You know, at the end of day one, I think... Of the X-1s are better, it was like 12 of them or something like that. Some crazy number was Nexus of Fate. Nexus is getting leaner and more efficient. And as it gets leaner and more efficient, it becomes a bigger and bigger weight on the format. That you have to re- respect this. And I think it's format warping in that way. And it, the problem is, when a deck puts pressure on the format, like let's say Team Energy. Team Energy is too good, but um, let's say Mardu, Red Black, right? Red Black puts a lot of pressure on the format. You can do things to beat Red Black. That like in all the colors. You just don't have that option with Nexus. And even then, it's not enough a lot of the time. And that's why I think it's so format warping. Yeah, and this is something that, you know, that I think it's important to note, that format warping and power level aren't necessarily the same thing. That, sure, that, but this is I think this is a fundamental disagreement, is that I believe if it does get to that point, it becomes ban-worthy, and you do not. Right, but what I'm saying is, like, a good example of that is Hydroid Crisis right now. Like, Hydroid Crisis is a format warping card, right? Sure. Like, if you're playing in a mid-range type battle, and your opponent has access to Hydroid Crisis, and you do not, you're in a bad situation. Right, and there we've already seen like sideboards and everything, and even main strike constructions like shift to adapt around that card. Right, like we've seen a rise of cards like Baffling End and Hostage Taker, and you know Deputy of Detention, and all of these other cards that otherwise wouldn't be seeing the same level of play to adapt around the fact that that card is as good as it is. But we would not be talking about Hydroid Crisis being a bannable card, even though it warps the format around what types of decks are viable. I would say it impacts the decks more than warps them. That that makes sense. So I, maybe I used the wrong word there. In my mind, warp means you have to think about this, and it's the crutch of what's going on in the format. Like, the whole format is spinning around Nexus of Fate right now. Now, the mid-range battles are like their own little sub-universe happening with Hydra Crisis and the control decks, but they're just an inflection point. In my mind, this is warping the entire, everything you're doing, including Hydra Crisis. Hydra Crisis, you need to be in blue, and green has quick, uh, efficient creatures to make you not stumble, and Hydra Crisis overlaps there. Hydra Crisis is also an insane card, it's in my modern deck right now, but that doesn't mean it's a ban-worthy card, right? And I agree with you there. I also just don't think it's format warping. I think it's format impacting. Right. So uh, It's interesting as well, because the idea of Nexus on power level, like, I agree that if you go into a tournament and you do not have a plan for Nexus, and you are not in the colors that can have an effective plan for Nexus, you're going to have a bad day. Overall, I can agree with that. And I do, I do think that it restricts what options there from deck building, and I do think that it restricts diversity. I think that those things are true. But... I think that the deck is still very beatable, and while the decks are getting more streamlined, it is something that, like, you know, for example, we've seen the rise of Mono Blue, and, like, Mono Blue is very good against the Nexus decks. Like, that you can win as the Nexus player, but it's hard, and it sucks, because it's just very difficult to get through that type of thing. And that's true of some of the other decks as well, right? Like, you can go with a specific plan, you can execute that plan, and you can beat those decks. 
Like, when you get to the point where, like, okay, this is a deck that from a power level standpoint is a real problem, it's that, okay, well, we have these decks and we've adapted and we have a plan and we still can't beat them. Like, that's when, to me, I think it gets to a tipping point from a power level standpoint uh, versus it being, like, just from a play pattern standpoint. Sure, I think that's fair. I think Nexus is getting towards that right now. Like, that that's just where I'm at with the format. I think Mono Blue is the best deck in standard as of right now. And I think the big reason is it's, like, kind of tied with Blue-Green Nexus as being the best deck, but it wins the mirror. And Nexus is so warping. Well, the, I should say the matchup, not the mirror. And as such, like, that puts it over the top for me. But also, Mono Blue is doing everything we talked about, right? It's fast. It's clean mana. It's, uh, pressuring them, and it has disruption. It plays Negate. <laughs> it, it plays Negate. It plays Spell Pierce. It plays both Negate and Spell Pierce. Yeah. Like, it has all the stuff you need. And it has the most busted start you can have in Standard. Yeah. Which is, you play Unblockable Dude plus Curious Obsession, then spend the rest of the game just... Having counterspell back up and win. And it's so hard to attack those decks because if you try to, Nexus of Fate comes at you. Not even just in best of one in all the formats. So. Well, yeah, but that gets into a typical dynamic of what you see in most standards, right? Like that's like the paper, rock, scissors structure of what you have in a standard, right? Is that like this deck beats that deck, that deck beats this deck, and then that uh, gets into this cycle, right? Which mm-hmm. is where you have black green living as the rock at all times, and that, yeah. that is what happens. And that's a bit of the structure that we have right now, right? Like you have Sultime mid range, which is your rock deck, then you have the mono blue deck as your, you know, tempo type Delver aggro deck, and then you have your combo deck, right? And we have that kind of triangle dynamic. The problem is, is that the triangle dynamic is similar to it was as Marvel, which is the combo piece of that deck feels horrible. I, I would say even more so than that, though, is part of the problem is that the Sultai decks have to respect the Nexus deck because the Nexus deck can beat them, but mono blue beats both those decks. It beats Sultai, it beats your rock and your scissors. It's like the lizard guy or whatever like in the spot lizard game right and so it beats both of those and then nexus still forces them to play all these cards and then the way to attack mono blue is to pressure them in a different way and so because of all that i think nexus it, it, it warps everything like I, I feel like we're talking in circles much like nexus makes you do so we'll, let's try and wrap this up here nexus puts such pressure on the format the Sultai decks can't answer the blue decks because they need more cards to answer that. But then the blue decks are not being able to answer these decks. Yeah, and so I think it's interesting because we agree on the conclusion. Yeah. Which is, I think that Nexus of Fate should just be banned in all formats. Yeah. And, and Well, all standard formats. Yes. Like, not just all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, whatever. If you want to play a seven mana, uh, you want to play a seven mana time walk in Modern or Legacy, knock yourself out. Like, that's fine. But I do think that it should be banned in all standard, but just across the board. I, I think that while it's good to recognize that best of one has its own challenges and the best of one has its own things that need to be addressed, that separate ban lists are unnecessarily clunky and confusing. And that if you need to ban something, just ban it and just move on to the next thing. Because I think there are going to be very few things that rise to that level of a problem in best of one versus best of three. Yep. And it's just that my reasoning for wanting to do so is slightly different than your reasoning for wanting to do so. But I think your conclusion, we would reach yeah. the same. I would say we, we both have similar, it's just, I believe there's extra reasons. You're like, there's this one big A, and I'm like, I agree with A, but there's also this B, and you're like, ah, B's there, I guess. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that, that's the real difference. But what do you think, listeners? Do you agree with me? Do you think the power level of the deck is too much, next is oppressive? Tweet at Pod. Let us know, or if you're on the Patreon, let's have a conversation in the Discord. Get that started right there. Trey, if someone wants to find you and say, dude, Nexus of Fate rocks, and then they repeat that tweet a bunch of times and send a message, where would they do that? If you'd like to uh, blow up my notifications in an unhealthy way, at TreyMC on the Twitters. If you want to find me and let me know, 
You write. Tweet at Mason E. <coughs> tweet at Mason E. Clark, and I will respond to you and be like, yeah, you smart. You get it. Not that you're not smart. You're just wrong, and that's okay to be wrong. People do it all the time. Listen, if you want to tell Mason that he's a fool and that you love your nexuses and want to hold on to them forever, then also send him something at Mason E. Clark. <laughs> Dang, straight. You can also find me at twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark. Uh, and if you want to support the show, you go to patreon.com slash evenoddspod. All the rewards are there. Hope to have you. If you want to also support us another way, you can go to iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to the show and leave a review. The reviews do help. It's a great way to support the show if you don't have money where you don't want to give money right now, but you do like the show. Let people know. That way when they look up the show, they see it. It also pops up more if there are more reviews. If you like this show, you might like other shows like it. Check out the Constructed Criticism Network. On the network, we have a lot of different shows. There's Constructed Criticism, which is the flagship show. John Cern, Seth Mansfield, Spencer Howland talk all about standard. They just did a two-hour episode on uh, John Cern's 10 things like that he wants to see improved in competitive magic. It was very interesting to hear Seth and Spencer's opinions on John's list and the conversations they had with that. It's a, a very interesting episode and very different than the normal CC episodes. If you like kind of a talk show type thing, you might want to check out The Hive Mind. Uh, the Hive Mind has a new episode being recorded, I think, today with Cat Light from Team Lotus Box. So if you want to check that out, go to this Constructed Criticism Network. It should probably be up by the time this episode's also up because of how late we re- how quick we record compared to when it comes out. And then if you like popping around, check out Common Knowledge. All popper all the time, baby. If you like the home, uh, MTG Dad, you're like on a budget and that kind of stuff. I shouldn't say like. You know, maybe you love your family and you do like it. Who am I to judge? Uh, we have Homer Path. He's been prepping up for Memphis. He's playing right now. I haven't got to check Twitter yet to see how he's doing. But hopefully he's doing well. You're going to hear a victory podcast on next Thursday for him as well. Let's wrap it up, Trey. Thanks for rolling with us. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 19th episode of the Even Odd Podcast. I am your Time Walk host, Mason. And I'm joined by Time Warp friend, Trey. Uh, hey, great to be here. Um, this feels familiar to me in some way. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 19th episode of the Even Out Podcast. I am your Time Warp host, Mason, and I'm joined by Time Warp Trey. This is definitely, I think that, I think, wow, okay, Mason, did you actually cast Nexus of Fate? Did you trap us in some kind of weird Groundhog Day infinite time loop? I don't have time for this. Well, I guess I have all the time for this, because I get to spend the rest of my life trying to solve some kind of cosmic riddle to figure out how we get out of this and get back to giving the people what they want, which is more even-odds pods and not the same even-odds pod. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 